What up, guys? Uh, this is the Timeless Podcast uh, with myself, Nair, Denny, and Meldon. Uh, before we start this video, um, go ahead, subscribe, like, follow us on uh, Instagram, Facebook. And uh, today's guest, we have um, Mike, uh, Mike Gates. Um, he was my coach and uh, mentor while I was growing up uh, playing soccer. Um, he had um, a ro- we kind of didn't uh, we kind of didn't really communicate for like what was it like five years or something a few years a few years and then uh we kind of got into it because um you uh you went through some difficult times if you want to go ahead and speak yeah. about that and kind of what your well yeah the last last couple of years have have been a little tough i was uh first diagnosed with multiple sclerosis back in february of 17 which was a little strange for somebody at that point, I was 49 years old, to get diagnosed with it. I knew I had issues going on and, um, you know, you always think, well, I guess when you get old, you hurt. When you get old, you you hurt. And uh, you just wasn't really sure, you know, it's just like, oh, I guess this is what getting old is about. And then, you know, finally I had some issues that happened that that, uh, got me to the right place where I was diagnosed with that. And um, you know, I, I guess we you know, reconnected again on Facebook. Yeah. And uh, all, all of our, a lot of our old teammates were on there and it's just, it's been great to, you know, keep in touch with everybody. And um, that's kind of where the journey that I'm on right now began. And it's, uh, you know, taken a couple little twists and turns even since then. So did you have any, like, um, like, did you, when you were diagnosed, what was the, you, you said you were diagnosed with two things, right? Yeah. So um, this past March, I was diagnosed with chronic lymphocytic leukemia and um, not related to multiple sclerosis. Um, but again, another rare diagnosis. Um Usually people are diagnosed with this disease either as a, a very young child or I think the average age of, of, of a CLL patient is like 80 years old. So um, chalk it up to me to, to be, be different. You said, you said that your doctor found four other cases like that and nobody survived? Yeah. So um, it was really funny. I, I'd been having some issues and I'd been sick and so... With multiple sclerosis, you can catch a cold, you can have like a stomach bug or whatever, and that'll throw you into what they call a relapse. With relapses, you can go into numbness, um, go into paralysis, uh, very bad nerve pain and things like that. And um, I'd kind of been going through some of that and I started having some really bad issues with my my digestive system and um i just kept on thinking well it's ms you know it's just like i got these nerves going nuts in me and you know that's that's what's going on and so finally i had a just a routine follow-up with my neurologist and she's like look i don't know what's going on with you this is an ms you need to get to your general practitioner and and start some testing there and figure out because until you get this figured out your ms isn't going to stop flaring and so i went to my general practitioner i happened to have like a little cold at the time and it's like i don't understand what's going on i cannot get over this cold my wife had it she was over it in like five six days and here I am going like 10 days into this thing and it's just not going anywhere. It's like, we'll get you fixed up. Let's figure out your stomach because you just turned 50. Uh, checkups. He said, time for the colonoscopy. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to kill two birds with one stone. And I'm just like, I mean, just the thought of a colonoscopy, I think probably every man hates that idea. <laughs> I mean, some men don't <laughs> <laughs> maybe, um, what I'll tell you, having had two in the last um, several months, they're not bad at all. So when it's time for you to go get it, go get it. People say like the the worst part of it's actually the the pretreatment kind the of drink, yeah, drinking the gallon of um, after, yeah, uh, the electro- you, it's that that's the fluids that make you it clean gets you, you out. moving. Yeah. It gets you moving. This is the worst part but of it. The problem was 
is I was already having that situation going on. Um, by the time I showed up for the colonoscopy, I was on day 42, but who's counting? Um, day 42 I, of the of the cold? Or? N- no, oh, the flare, my the, stomach oh, issues. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So um, the, the clean out was just par for the course for me. <laughs> and um, what was really amazing is when I got into um, recovery, to the recovery room from the colonoscopy. Um, I really think that's one of the first miracles that happened because I, the doctor that I ended up with, um, I I got the referral from my, my, my general practitioner and I just called them up and said, I, I've had this issue going on for so long, I'll take whoever you got. First day, first time slot, let me in there. Well, the doctor that I ended up with um, was part of what what saved me. Um, he tells my wife Julie and me, and he goes, um, "I've got good news. I didn't see any cancer. I didn't see any polyps. I've been doing this for twenty years, and I don't know what I've just seen." So was that a was that good news to you? Well, the cancer thing was great news at that very moment, but. You know, for um, a guy who is a, base, a chief of surgery at the hospital he was at, who has seen and done everything, to say, I don't know what <laughs> I've just seen, uh, was a little disconcerting. Yeah. And he goes, I'm going to call you up in, um, let's see, I'm going to call you up in like two days when we get the test results back and I'll let you know what's going on. And two days came and went. And so finally, the you know third day, I, I call his assistant. He'd given me her direct number, and she's like, "Well, yeah, we're still got a lot of these biopsies out. We're we're gonna figure it out." And so Friday comes, and I'm like, "I've got to go through the weekend and not know what's going on with me." And she's like, "Yeah." She goes, "We had to send out to a second lab. We'll we'll know something for you on Monday." How was that weekend like? Can you? Sounds nerve wracking. Um, sleep it all over. Because I know you have a different personality than most people. Yeah. Like <laughs> you look at you look at the positive of things and kind of bring out the the funny side. I, yeah. I would say. So I, like I always choose to do that. I choose to have fun no matter what I do. Thank you for remembering <laughs> that about me. Um, so my 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 whole thing in life is you can't you can't worry about what you don't know and we didn't know anything so was it a long weekend yes and so you know monday rolls around i call the office still nothing and she goes we're working on it i promise you we'll have it tomorrow tomorrow you're coming to see us at 9 a.m we'll have your results and um so julie and i go to uh his office and you know we get taken back to to one of the exam rooms and you know we're just sitting there nervously waiting and he comes in and um you just tell he wasn't himself even though i didn't know him very well he was really not in a comfortable state and he goes he goes um i'm just i'm just going to be real honest with you you've you've got lymphoma and i'm like okay what's this mean and he goes well he goes first i'm going to tell you that um this isn't anything that you've done or haven't done. This is a crazy um, code switch in your DNA. And um, we don't know what causes it. We don't know why it happens. But um, he goes, as luck would have it, I was on call at the hospital this weekend and I ran into the most brilliant hematologist and I've discussed this case with him, and he goes, I'm just going to tell you, if it were me or anybody in my family, this is the only person that I would take them to. He goes, I've got you an appointment on Friday. You're going to go see him, and um, this this guy's going to get you fixed up. At that point, you know, we still just didn't know anything. But, um, Nair, you'll, you'll get a, a kick out of this because the first thing he said to me when he walks in the room is, 
you've just got to be different, don't you? <laughs> I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, this is, he goes, I can just tell you that the way that this disease presents is like you usually see um, a, a random blood test that somebody just has abnormal blood work and we catch it that way, or they have it in um, their lymphatic system. Like they might have tonsils or yeah. might have something else going on that, that gives an indication. He goes, but I've never seen anybody like this. I'm like, okay, great. Um, I said, so what, you know, this is the meeting. What stage am I? Um and he's like, we don't have a stage for you. Is it because they didn't know of anything like yeah. about it? So they just kind of like so rare, such a rare um, presentation of the of this disease that they couldn't stage it. You know, it's usually stage one through four. Um, some people that get this disease um, have no treatment. They're 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 they have a term they call watch and wait. They they sit there and they can live for years like this. And they'll go in periodically, have some blood work, and then they'll decide whether it's time to treat. You know, um, I went from January the 19th when my symptoms started until um, probably mid-March, and I would lost 40 pounds. Was it because of the mental factor or kind of the... The, the stomach factor. <laughs> <laughs> I I was not absorbing any food. I um, I spent about half my day in the bathroom. I was in bed or in the bathroom. And um, it took about six weeks from um, from the initial diagnosis for them to even figure out what they were going to treat, how they were going to treat me. Um, they shared my case. Uh, I was treated at Norton Cancer Institute there in Louisville. And um, they have a program with the University of Kentucky Medical Center. So they had a what they call the tumor board meeting, and they presented my case to it. And um, there is a gold standard treatment for people with um, CLL and it's a three drug cocktail and I can't even pretend to know what those three yeah. very long words are but they just call it FCR and the guys at UK were like yeah I just you know he's young enough let's give him FCR we'll bomb this stuff and be done with it and my doctor's like I just I don't feel good about it. your your so compromised right now your immune system's so messed up that um if we go in and give you this it's going to take out any bit of um immunity that you do have and you're going to die and he goes i encourage you to go anywhere that you want and get a second opinion and um so i of course, you know how insurance goes in this country. So you got to work through your insurance company. And I had um, I sought out advice from the insurance company, and I said, okay, where where should I go for a second opinion? And come to find out, there's about forty different um, centers of excellence in the United States, and Vanderbilt was the closest to us, and. My daughter Emma lives in Nashville. I was like, okay, great. We'll go down. We'll see Emma. I'll go to Vanderbilt, and we'll see what these guys think. And um, that doctor there was in complete agreement with, with my doctor in Louisville and said, like, this is going to kill that guy. And um, there was a lot of debate back and forth as to what drugs I would do. So they decided to go one a different route, and um, I was like, okay, let's do it. And um, it was a very old treatment that um, they didn't have in the Western world until after the Berlin Wall fell. The drug was developed in Eastern Germany, and it's called bendamustin. And um, the other drug they were giving me is called rituxan. And so they were giving give both drugs to me. And... Um, 
Vindamustin is very nasty, um, very sick. Everything that you ever think about somebody with cancer going through is what you go through. And so we decided to go that route. I, I go to show up for my first treatment. Julie remarks to me, um, and I think she even made a post on Facebook about it, but she's like, um, you know what love is? I'm like, no. And she's like, love is when you're willing to put poison in your body so you can stay alive. <laughs> and I'm just like, wow, yeah. So I go in. So when you when you get to um, when you get to treatment, the first thing they do they have to put in the IV, and you have to take about thirty minutes of IV fluid just to make sure you're well enough hydrated before they begin the medicine. So my IVs had already begun, and um, Dr. Terry Hadley is my my hematologist, and he comes in and he's like, I, "I've just been doing more reading, and um, I I don't think this is the way we need to go." So I was there on the doorstep of having this treatment, and um, you know he he just was continually researching he was continually curious and nothing is going to be cookie cutter for this man and that's the other miracle my saving grace that um, he decided that that was going to be too harsh for me to survive given what was going on with me and so um, he's like I found this um, there's an oral uh, biologic chemotherapy um, it's really not chemotherapy but it they call it chemotherapy, yeah. but it's a, a, it's a biologic. And he's like, um, I want you to take this for 30 days, and then on the 30th day you'll come in and you'll get an infusion. Um, we're, we'll do these infusions for six weeks, and then we'll test you again and figure out where we're going from there. And um, it's kind of a new treatment. And so I, I started that on May 2nd. By the end of the end of May, I went in to get get that first um, infusion, and uh, really, that's that's what saved my life. Um, I, by the time August rolled around, uh, I'd gone through six infusions and then taking a daily um, oral chemotherapy that I'll be on for the rest of my life. Um, the thing about CLL is that you're never cured from it. Yeah. Um, what will happen is eventually I'll catch a cold or some crazy bug and it'll kill me. But um, we're doing a lot of things to keep my immune system boosted. Um, I, I go every 28 days for... Uh, Checkups. Well, for an infusion. Oh, okay. I get antibodies. Um, I'm given this blood uh, product that takes a thousand blood donors to make one treatment. That is that's wild. <laughs> Never heard of that. Yeah. I think one thing that saved you also is um, your attitude. Because, like, um, I know some people, like, uh, that I've actually witnessed myself, is mm -hmm. when they get told they have cancer or whatever it is, yep. uh, anything that's deadly, they'll literally, you can tell on their face, in two weeks they'll be totally... It's kind Stress. of mentally. Yeah, they just nice. give up mentally. It's like, a mental yeah. battle. They um they don't eat. They don't take. Yeah. They just they They're literally kill down, themselves. Yeah. And I feel like one thing that uh that you do is really well is look at the positive yeah. side. And uh, well, thanks. What's something that kept them kept you like grounded and kind of well? I I do I do think that I've always been that person that I want to see the bright side to everything. Um. I can tell you sitting here today that more good has come from my diagnosis than bad, even though I have a terminal disease. Um, but I, I think, and I, and I told this to the doctor, I was like, look, I like to have fun in life. I'm going to have fun with this too. And I'm going to joke. I'm going so don't think that I'm going to come in here all doom and gloom because that's not how I'm going to live my life and if I'm going to die I'm going to die having fun too that's, yeah, that's the best way to be and 
I don't know. I, I can't explain it, but I had this real, real, really strong peace that came over me uh, with this diagnosis. And I was just like, I knew once I learned how rare my case was, um, I was going to be okay even if I didn't treat it because they didn't know they couldn't stage it. Um, I, I didn't want my family to remember me as a sick, gray person shriveled up in bed. <laughs> I wanted them to remember me like I am now, like you've always known me. And um, I was still that person, even though I was so sick, I was still living a pretty normal life. And it's like, I'll, re I'll let these symptoms overcome me and I'll die one day, but I'm not going to die because the medicine itself is going to kill me. But the doctor, um, my oldest son, Jack, came to the initial uh, consultation with Julie and me, and um, Dr. Hadley followed us out, and he said, um, you need to make sure your dad knows we're going to treat this, and <laughs> I'm not going to rest till we figure this out. And, um, you know, like I said, the rarity of it is that he started researching, and he could only find four other cases similar to mine, and no, none of the other four survived. And here I am doing very well. Um, you know, let's see, what were we, seven months later, um, I'm in what they call a hematologic remission. It's still in my bone marrow, but because my blood work is so good that they feel like there's no need to treat it further and do anything that might be damaging to me if I'm staying healthy and, and doing well so um, it's crazy to think that you know I'm the lone survivor right now yeah yeah so Pe uh, people kind of um, every day when people go through stuff they they look at these um, like problems whether it be a final exam or something yeah. and they think they're in the worst place ever or not paying a credit card what would you tell those people that like you've been to the worst of the worst so that's you know you can't go any yeah you can see you were you were at the darkest so like what would you get tell those people because like people want to watch this and they're gonna they're gonna gain something from you because you're definitely a different breed yeah. yeah inspiration for sure um you know one thing i'll say is that you know if, if our life is a story or a book it's only a chapter and we don't know where the story ends. Um, I can tell you things that I thought were the worst thing that ever happened to me that pale in comparison to this. Um, you know, most people know me that I ended up following uh, my kids and their mom to Louisville, and they had moved there before me. And I thought, you know, living in two separate cities for a few years was the worst thing that would ever happen to me. Yeah. Um, you know, Drew played soccer with us and we were back and forth and, you know, we saw everybody every week and, it, and I was at everything the kids ever did. But I thought, you know, at that time, not living in the same city as my kids for a couple years was the worst thing that could ever happen. And it's not. And, um, the thing I can tell people is, is to have patience, um, and to know that um, there's always more to the story. And um, we live in such an instantaneous society that we think that everything has to be instant. We can't stand when somebody doesn't answer that text immediately. Yeah. We can't stand if we send somebody a text and they don't give us the read notifications. But you know what? All of it can happen in its own good time and um i think the thing that we can learn the best is that all we can do in this life is control ourselves and so you can make the personal decision that i'm going to be happy i'm going to be satisfied that where i am right now is where i'm supposed to be and that i've got to find the best here and now and you know the grass isn't always greener on the other side and you've got to find your happy place where you are it's awesome man like that's 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 moving hmm. to anybody i mean whether it whether it be somebody that's 
that's diagnosed with a with a deadly thing or whether it be somebody that's just having a rough time in their yeah. life. So. I mean, I I have running jokes in my head having two <laughs> two like I have this meme generator going on in my head between <laughs> MS and CLL, and it's always like, oh here, hold my beer. Let me show you what I can do. Let me show you what I can do. And it's just like sometimes I'm calling the doctor. I'm like, okay, this is what's going on. And like the neurologist will be like, um, that. That might be your CLL. You might want to call the hematologist, or the hematologist <laughs> might be like, "Hey, um, yeah, I don't know if that's something that that you need to check with a neurologist about. I'm not really sure what's going on with you there." <laughs> and the funny thing about all this is, as much as they're not sure which is which, sometimes with with everything that goes on with me, the ironic thing is, is the drug that I'm taking is just now been approved as a treatment of course it was a treatment for um for leukemia but it's now been uh, approved for treatment for ms even though there's no link between both of those diseases that's crazy you think you're kind of like the the guinea pig in the situation i, I don't know what the you're, heck you're the link um, <laughs> special man the uh my hematologist and the gastroenterologist are writing a case study on me yeah and um you know i've always thought that i was going to write a book um really it was i thought it was going to be more about my coaching philosophy and you know the the relationships that i've developed with all my players over the years but um i think these two illnesses have made me take all the crap I dished out to you guys and take my own advice. And I think the way that I wanted you all to be as players and the li the lessons that I wanted to treat to teach you all I had to take my own medicine. And I had to take it on the same way and take the same challenges and just view this as um you know a a training session to get to game day and um it's you know like i said my own lions had to eat my own tigers to uh to get me where i am and i've been told i have been told by my doctor that he does think it you know part of it was my attitude that i was you know able to rise rise above the situation um but i'm also very blessed that i've had the most amazing medical treatment and you know, everybody thinks that miracles are um, something that happens instantaneously, and maybe it's not. You know, maybe, you know, maybe the miracle was that I happened to call on the day that I called, and I got the gastroenterologist that I got, and then that he connected me with the hematologist I got, and um, you know, to have a doctor like him, that a doctor like him that calls me out of the blue hey i just read something what do you think about this um or i can email him hey i just found this study what do you think about it and to correspond and to know that there's a doctor that um you know that you're on the forefront of his mind and that he wants to make the situation better i mean that that can't hurt your attitude either <laughs> it's hard because like um Nowadays, people look at doctors and medicine as a, as a money thing. So, like, it's hard to find somebody that actually truly cares because if he sees 10 people a day, um, yeah. it's really special for a doctor to kind of, for each patient, to actually feel for them. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something we need to, that needs to be changed in this world because I've, uh, I've had my own, uh, not myself, but just family, um, <laughs> family going through the same thing, kind mm -hmm. of. Um, and... When you go back, I had doctors arguing, mm -hmm. arguing because we sent them to get a second opinion mm -hmm. because they weren't going to make the money off yep. off of us. Like they literally said, yep. like, why are you doing that? You know, so like to have somebody special like that, I think it's yep. definitely something that's 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 different and helped you. He, I, like I said, that in itself for me was a miracle. He um, is very intelligent. He's very inquisitive. Um, and he's very humble. And to realize that with a doctor to say, I don't know where you are, 
but we're going to figure it out. I mean, there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot that comes from that that gives me uh, made me relax a little to know that you know I don't, I'm not being treated by some guy with a god complex that thinks he knows all. Yeah. And if he'd listened to what the guys at UK said, I I wouldn't be here doing this podcast today. So. <laughs> That's crazy. Do you think that um, um, you said you had a lot of support from, I mean, previous players, uh, yep. y- your wife, your kids? Yeah. Has that also helped you push through and kind of? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, I have uh, I have four four adult kids, um, two still in college, two just out of college. Uh, Jack, Emma, Drew, and Mary Claire. You know them all well. Yeah. From our years here, but um, you know. I think that's one of the great things that happens is that um, families figure out what's really important. And um, we spend a lot of very good time together um, that helps buoy your spirits. Um, The other thing that's been really amazing to me is um, all the players that, that I've maintained a relationship with over the years that have reached out to me and been there for me, um, whether it's through social media, whether it's through um, visits to my house. I mean, like over spring break, all the guys that are away playing college show up on your front doorstep is just like amazing. You know, you're you're wanting to you know lay on the couch and watch Price is Right and cover up and you know make a fire and lay there with the dog. Yeah. And you got you got guys showing up and just you know like, hey, coach, uh, Champions League's on today. We come over to watch the game with you and. Um, you know that that kind of stuff um, might go farther than the medicine. I agree. I, I agree. Because we had, uh, I was the first one to hear about it out of our like me, yeah. Nerman, Roll, yeah. and once I told, because that was the first thing. First, I contacted you, and then I yeah. contacted them. I was like, "Do you know, like, you know what this is?" And they all just they all texted me. They said, Kit, "Like, if he's in town, can you know? Let's set something up. Let's <laughs> let's have a reunion." Yeah. And we actually talked with like Donald Julio and yeah. tried to get a little uh, sky reunion. Yeah, in, so we're gonna do that still. I hope. I hope it's yeah. soon too. But it's um, I don't know. It's uh, like I said. It's kind of what I even had in my mind even before I had this latest diagnosis is that. Um, the bond that we all have created as teammates, as a as a coach, I think that's what's the telling thing. And I think what I tried to teach as a coach, like I said, it's not how to kick a ball better or you know something tactically, but you know I think it's about learning to achieve and learning learning to better yourself and learning to be a good teammate that I hope's what everybody's walked away with and it's kind of what everybody's brought back to me. And um, I had one of my players that played for me at at Trinity in Louisville, his father called me and they don't even live live in Louisville anymore. And um, I've been very public about my diagnosis and you know, a lot of people wanna go into themselves and be private and that's fine, that's how you do, deal with it. But you know, you always have those whispers around from everybody. It's just like, oh, my God, did you hear about Mike? He's got this or that and all this. And it's so like, I want to be very public about it. And it's not that I want anybody's sympathy, but I want everybody to know what's going on. And for me to sh- be able to share that has really opened the door to a lot of people who've helped me help my family through it all. And um, it's been one of the great saving graces of this besides the great medical care i think is all the people that have um surrounded us with love and support and encouragement and um it's i think it's a crazy combination of of medicine and attitude and love that that have gotten me where i am today did you have any uh superstition or Whatever it may be, going through it, because I know you had a lot when we were I, when you I've were. I've always a coach. been a superstitious um, player. I was a superstitious coach, superstitious fan, and um, if my teams played and I had on a certain pair of socks, a shirt, <laughs> or underwear, 
I had them on and I wore them through. And, um, you know, when I was coaching your Sky team, uh, it was a very cold day, I remember. And I was trying to get on as many layers as possible. And I found this old, I mean, it was like from like 2004 Sky Invitational Tournament t-shirt that I'd put on just to have an extra layer. And we won that day, and it was against Javanon, who was at that point probably the top team in the state. And somehow I decided that that T-shirt was the lucky <laughs> T-shirt, and um, I ended up wearing that. And we we made a tremendous run that year. We even and, made T-shirts that said "Respect the T-shirt." <laughs> yeah, we yeah. Had, we had shirts about the shirt. Yeah, and um, I'm still that way. T- to this day and you know my son drew plays at uh bellarmine and um i try to go to every game whether it's home or away and um back in this spring season i was a little too sick to go to the game one day and they were playing Wright state which was a d1 team and um i had this <laughs> shirt on that day <laughs> and they won um they had gone through that whole spring season playing all D1 opponents and had no losses. Um, dating back to the previous season, they lost in the conference championship on PKs. The NCAA doesn't count a PK victory as a victory. They, it goes down officially as a tie. So the Bellarmine team that is still alive today playing in the Sweet 16 for the NCAA tournament this year goes back with they've got a 30 game unbeaten streak going right now That's awesome. and i really think it's due it's to the the <laughs> yeah, they better retire it and tired of that short the jerseys uh i'll tell you what um I wanted this podcast to go so well that's why i wore that shirt tonight <laughs> so, so it's a little super look for everything should have wore the sky one under yeah i should have I, I can't believe i forgot to bring it i still have the shirt uh so uh, moving on with coaching, you, you have this famous quote. Uh, I think you even have a Facebook page kind of dedicated to it. Yeah. So um, when I was coaching at Trinity High School, um, we'd always been known one of the top programs in the state. Um, you know, maybe at times maybe seen as maybe the underachiever. St. X has won now 10 or 12 state championships. They happen to be in the same region as us, so, you know, you feel like you're doing something if you just win Region 7 because usually a state champion may or may not come out of out of that region. Um, we had a, we had a really good team and it was this was in the um, fall of 2013 and um, we had made it to the regional final. We'd beaten St. X in our rivalry game during the regular season, but um, we. Uh, we'd never gotten out of the regional finals against them. We'd lost the last few games and, you know, we'd kind of had an unbeaten streak, but the last loss before that was to St. X in the region a a year or so before. And um, I was just, you know, trying to think, you know, how how am I going to inspire these guys just to, to rise to the occasion? We're good enough, but we've got to believe it. It's not, you know, on paper, yes, we're, we're the best team. Technically, tactically, I'll take our players over their players any day of the week. But I was like, you know, we, we've got to believe it. And, you know, I've always, as a coach, I've always thought that, you know, you've got to have the mental aspect down. It doesn't matter how much talent you have, how much skill you have. If you don't know it and don't use it, it's, it's no good. It's like, it's like having a Ferrari, but no money to put in the gas tank. <laughs> so... Um, I was just like, man, you know, St. X, they're the Tigers. You know, what's what's tougher than a Tiger? And um, I was like, well, you know, Tigers are like the top of the food chain in their habitat. So I don't know what's tougher than a Tiger. And I was just like, you know, what's another big, like, apex predator? I'm like, lions are, like, really big. I mean, I know lions and tigers don't, live in the same habitat but what would happen if a lion and a tiger fought so i googled it and um you know 
we've come to more sensible times in our human existence nowadays <laughs> with, uh, you know, deference to animal cruelty or not. But it, um, there's some old videos, old grainy videos on YouTube that people have posted um, of lions and tigers fighting. And I watched some of those. And so I, I kind of conveyed that story to the boys. And I was just like, you know, I, I don't know what's tougher than a tiger, but um, I Googled it and a lion is tougher than a tiger. I've been watching lions eat tigers all day. <laughs> and we're gonna go out on that field and we're lions are gonna eat tigers. And you know why we're lions and why they're tigers? Tigers are a solitary animal and they're out for their own good. A lion always hunts for the pride. And Trinity, if anything's about Trinity, we're about a brotherhood and we're a pride. And we're gonna go out and we're gonna be lions and we're gonna eat tigers. And we ended up winning that and went to state. We made a great run that year. Um, we uh, ended up losing in penalties in the final to uh, Dunbar that year. And ironically, it was played at Dunbar. So they got a home game for the state final, which that rule's now since changed. And, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but it's kind of funny how that little speech became such a mantra and a rallying cry. And, you know, I could be on campus and everybody like, Coach Gates, Lions eat Tigers! Or what, and it just became the rallying point of that team. And so for the three or four years that, that I was around there and even after, it became kind of a rallying point. And so, you know, as I was beginning, when I first got diagnosed with the EMS, I was thinking about, you know, why is it that all my players still have a relationship with me? Why is it that they care enough to reach out to me in in my time of need? And um, it just kind of dawned on me, it's, it's lions eat tigers. And it's not that speech, it's not what that means, but it means that relationship that that we've all had. And um, so I thought at that point it was going to be a book, and it was going to be a book about some guy, uh, some yokel in Kentucky who coaches <laughs> soccer and um, has good relationships with former players and, and hopefully taught him a few life lessons along the way. But little did I know, life had me some more lessons to teach. Absolutely. Yeah, man, that was, uh, I think, uh, some of my best memories and some of the, like, I remember sleeping at, in Russia, we, we, we <laughs> yes. had, uh, you were in the morning when we got up and you kind of, I don't know where you pull these speeches out of, but <laughs> I write them all. <laughs> I guess you stay up all night just writing them, but they I don't stay up all night. It just comes to me it's just cause that's the way I, I choose to, to look at the world. It gets you motivated because like, if you are playing Javanon or somebody, you know, you are the underdog and you mm -hmm. are the, and after that, you kind of have this, this fire built up, and you just go out there yep. and you make it happen. Well, I, I think, um, I you know, one of the things I think you'll, you might even remember me this, oh, me always telling you this, soccer is a thinking man sport. It's not a coaching, a coaching sport. It's not like a basketball where you can run call a plays, timeout and run, run a play. play yeah. It's not like football where you've got all these plays memorized. It happens in an instant. And the best players are the best thinkers. It doesn't matter how fast you are. It doesn't matter what kind of touch you have. If you don't have the cognitive ability to read the situation and make something happen, you're not going to be a very good player. I agree. And um, you know, I read a great book about that a few years ago. Um, it's called The Stupid Footballer is Dead. And um, it's written by a former Premier League player, a guy named Paul McVeigh, who's now one of my closest personal friends. Um, after I read that book, and it was all about the mental aspect of the game, and that he had a 16-year career playing for um, Tottenham, Norwich, and a couple other sides. But um, he um, always attributed his success to his mental performance. And, um, you know, all these top Premier League teams, top, they have mental performance coaches, and it's for a reason. Um, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you can't, 
use the six inches between both of your ears to harness that ability, then you're you're of no good to anyone. And so um, I just, after I read that book, it was just so inspiring to me. It was so inspiring to me even as on a personal level, not anything to do with football or soccer. Um, I sent him an email. I found him on LinkedIn, and I just told him what that book meant to me, and we struck up a relationship. And um, he did some mental performance sessions with my son, Drew. He did some um, mental performance sessions with my team at Trinity. And um, he now is the only Premier League player to have earned a master's degree in sports psychology. He he spent his time now um, doing a lot of keynote speaking. He comes to the States and does a lot of um, mental performance training sessions with colleges, clubs, and I've helped him you know, link up with a lot of the coaches I know around the country. And, um, you know, it's just like this kismet uh, that I've always thought that, you know, the mental aspect of the game is what makes you great at the game. And I think you can take that mental aspect from the game and apply it to life. And that's what I've always hoped that I would instill with all my players is that, you know, the struggles that you have on the field are no different than the struggles you have in life. And if you, you work hard and you have the right mental preparedness, you're you're going to move on from this and you're going to beat this and you're going to conquer this. And so that's that's where it's always been. And, you know, all of you guys have come back to me in my time of need and given me that same advice back. And that's that's why I'm here today. Yeah. I mean, it's a really, really, really moving story. Uh, I mean, for myself, mentor for me. Mm-hmm. And um, wrapping it up, uh, we want to do the Timeless 10, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, basically he's going to ask you 10 questions that we ask every guest. Okay. And it's just quick questions. Um, so, yeah, get started on that. And I appreciate okay. you coming today, man. Well, thanks. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate it coming down from Louisville. Yeah. All right, let's go with the first question. Um, if you had to work but didn't need the money, what would you choose to do? Well, seeing that I've not really made everything, anything, coaching, <laughs> I guess it's coaching soccer. Because <laughs> um, that's not paid the bills over the years, but um, <laughs> it's filled my heart. If you could meet one person, uh, dead or alive, who would it be? I, I would like to meet the Dalai Lama. I, I've just I, I follow him on social media and um, I was born and raised Catholic and I'd love to meet the Pope too but um, I think because I've always been um, such a fan of uh, mental performance and I think it seems that that Buddhism is something that is always um, focused on our mental state i would love love to meet him and be able to pick his brain a little bit and probably gain more insight than than i could ever dream of having absolutely mind over matter i think yeah matters a lot um if you had all the money in the world what would be your first purchase my first purchase would probably be a charitable contribution I I um I would give a bunch away and then and and maybe it's cuz what I've gone through the mm-hmm. last couple of years um I've really learned that I have everything I need. Yeah. Um I used to have a dream car. I always thought someday I'd own a Porsche. I don't care if I have a Porsche. I'm happy to be driving my 2016 Hyundai Santa Fe. Um I have I have a great house, I have a great family, I have a great dog, and I really don't know what else I need. So I mean, I think I would if I would want to take that money, and and do good with it. Um, would I want to make myself and my family's lives more comfortable? Yes. Yeah. But I mean, there's not one thing that I you want. You feel like you're missing. I, yeah. I, I really don't, and I hate to sound. I, I think that sounds very cliche. I mean, but. Yeah, I think I guess situation kind of put things in perspective at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah, really, really changed it. Yeah. 
Um, if you had one piece of advice for the young generation, what would it be? A, oh, I've, I've got this quote that I've come up with. Um, and I, I think it's kind of my parting thing that I would say to people is never take yourself too seriously, but never take yourself too seriously, but never fail to see the fullness of your potential. Is that going to be the quote on the on the, on the clock? clock? You, yeah, you're going to get a clock at the end of it. You can break in. <laughs> I've, I've got one other quote that, that I really love. That's kind of been a mantra to me, and um, I'm going to say it. Then I'm going to ask you guys to see if you can figure out who said this quote. Um, it's it's not enough to merely be the best of the best. You want to be known as the only ones who do what you do. Is it somebody of my time? Um, slightly. Somebody, he's he's very famous musician. I'll say that. Michael but Jackson. He's no longer living. Michael Jackson, Elvis Presley. No. no. Tupac. What genre? Um. <laughs> well, I'll just go. I'll, I'll let you off the hook. It 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 was Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead. Oh, I wouldn't know. Oh, I wouldn't yeah. know. But think about the Grateful. The, the, there's nobody that's ever done what they did. I mean. <laughs> They were the original were jam the, band. They were the original psychedelic band. Yeah. And um, the, the, it stands stands the test of time. Sweet. Deep quote. <laughs> so um, who, who inspired you the most growing up? I wish you'd given me these ahead of time because I'd have some <laughs> sad answers. It's got to be on the it. spot. Uh, but on the spot... Um, I would say uh, one of the most inspirational people were, were my parents. Um, a, I learned to love myself, and B, I was always taught that no one's better than anybody else. I agree. Absolutely, yeah. Um, who is your favorite artist right now, musical artist or any kind of artist, really? Well... Um, I've got a crazy eclectic mix of music. If you looked on my Apple, Apple music, music <laughs> you would you would trip out. That, um, you know, a fifty-one-year-old man listens to what I listen to. But um, my favorite band right now, and they they haven't had a new album in a few years, but I still just wear out. Um, is a band out of Los Angeles called Chicano Batman. Chicano <laughs> and um, these guys um, they've become friends of mine um, I had them do a charity uh, I was on the board of a nonprofit, and they were happened to be playing in Louisville on my birthday and I just sent an email to their manager and said hey uh, you guys are going to be in town it's my 50th birthday I'd love for you to do mm-hmm. a uh, you know would you would you do a Facebook live concert as a fundraiser for a charity that I'm on the board with, and they agreed to do it. It's awesome. So it's near and dear to my heart, but I love their music too before I ever got to know them as, <laughs> as people. Got a way of connecting with people. It's, it's kind of impressive. Just kind of making all these connections with people through emails. It's uh, – I, I believe in building bridges. Yeah. Um, it's way easier to build bridges, and our world's a better place building bridges than if we build walls. I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, what's the what's the most common reason you think people give up is? I, I think people give up because um, it's hard. It's hard for people to see outside of the present. Um, it's easy to get weighed down with your your daily woes. It's easy to you know be stuck in your rut and to realize that if you can change, click that switch in your mind, that you can change your circumstance because perception is reality. And if you decide that you're gonna be happy, if you decide that you're going to achieve, that eventually you're going to. And if you have that winning mentality, it might not happen today, it might not happen tomorrow, 
but um, those challenges and hurdles that you reach are only going to be that just a hurdle that you're going over and eventually you're going to get to that place where where you're the winner all right um and if you could have one superpower what would it be to read minds we had a debate about that on one of our uh, times talks if you can read minds you can yeah. you can, you can do anything you want because yeah you can manipulate people to <laughs> do what they want that's the evil side of it yeah <laughs> Not yeah. all of us think but, like that. Yeah, but then you would also some people would get hurt too. Cause, yeah. Maybe. You know, sometimes yeah. you got those wild thoughts right hey, there. Yeah. Hey, one of the pieces of advice I've always given to to anybody that'll listen to me, younger guys like you, use your powers for good instead of evil. True. Yeah. I read a book, the Twenty One Laws of Power or something. Yeah. And that book is like how to use your powers for evil. Yeah, that book and is I burned it. <laughs> um, I haven't heard of that, but I don't think I'll be picking up that. No, I don't. No. It's literally like it's a really old book. It's like written by some like a uh, Japanese war general. Oh, but they say it's really yeah. effective if you actually use it. But it's like a no, good. It's a good it's go get mentality book. Ethics. But it's it goes against ethics. It kind of just yeah. It's yeah. it's rough. It's a pass right. for me. Uh, last question: um, What's the one thing you can't live without? A material item, not like a person, but something. If you're if you're going on vacation, if you're going to be somewhere. What's one thing you have to have with you? Other than your, like, toothbrush and yeah. just one. Some one people thing. say iPad. Some people. You know, um, the thing, one of the things materially that, that I look forward to the most is a cup of coffee first thing in the morning. <laughs> I agree. I'm the same way. <laughs> um, I love getting up, being the only person awake in the house sitting there in total darkness <laughs> and just kind of meditating and and thinking and just enjoying that just perfect aroma of a fresh cup of coffee and it's probably not the coffee it's probably that time of day and and what yeah. i'm doing mentally but um that whole just i can think of the aroma of a cup of coffee right now and it puts me in that place and um I think that goes back to you know being true to yourself, and if you don't give yourself the time to um, write your ship, then you know, to me, it's your day's not going to go very well if you can't get yourself in line first. Yeah, I can see that. Kind of just a good time to plan your day out, see what you have ahead of you, just kind of clear your mind a little bit before you, they start as well. When yeah. you learn how to enjoy yourself, your your own company, yep. that's when you're the yep. happiest. Happiest. Yep. Yeah. All right, and you want to go back to that one question? The disinvent one mentioned. <laughs> What's one thing you would disinvent? Yeah. Disinvent. Disinvent. Coffee. Oh, disinvent. <laughs> disinvent. Okay. Yeah. Um. As much as I always have mine. Phones. I I I hate where we've come as a society with with our phones, and um, we spend a lot of time together separately and um i'm as guilty as anyone else so i'm not i'm not sitting here on a high horse saying um you know i'm take you know i take this time without my phone i i'm guilty and like i said i came over here even though i'm not going to use my phone it's sitting next to me during this podcast but um i think as much as we think that these devices have connected us it's really made us unconnected. I agree. He's doing a positive and a negative yeah. at the yeah. same time. I mean, but. Yeah. I mean, there's so many good things you can do with it, but, um, you know, I look at where we are. You know, you look at what social media has done. You look at, um, I, I feel like we've had an attack on learning even. And, that you know, mm-hmm. we've got all the information in the world at our fingertips, yet we find so many people that are so m- misinformed about so many things. And, um, you know, just because we have that at our f- fingertips doesn't make us more intelligent. Yeah. Well, Remember? it also gives you access to the wrong information as well. It can. Yeah. It can do that, too. Yeah, right. so um, wrapping it up, we're going to give you a clock and just break it on camera. Um, you don't have to... Yeah. Uh, there's some safety glass. Uh, you got glasses. I got glasses. <laughs> and uh, there's, you're going to write a quote on it after we clean it up and stuff. Yeah. And what, what quote are you going to put in it? I'd say a little shorter one since you're going to have to write a lot. But it's up to you. Um, 
I'm going to put that quote because that's one. Of, I've been always been a collector of quotes, but that's one that I coined myself and is um, don't take yourself too seriously, but never fail to see the fullness of your potential. Awesome. All right. Sweet. Let's get All it. right. Let's real get small. Hammer. You can lay it on the table. Yeah. I do, yeah. And just, yeah, yeah. just break it just so. Okay. <laughs> Alright, we good. All right. I thought it was going to be plastic. I didn't realize it was 